Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Through the Holy Spirit, grant us insight into who you are and who your love is for us. All through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and in his name we pray, amen. When you take a look at the Christian church nowadays, especially in the Western Hemisphere, it seems to be poor at best. There seems to be a lot of decay. There are more churches that are closing than are opening. Attendance has been declining over time. And you find people who are spiritual but not religious. Some people say that the fastest growing body are the nuns, none of the above. And you also take a look at the churches, and there's a lot of division within the churches. I don't know if you've been watching, the uh, Southern Baptists just had their convention this past week, and there's been a lot of division in this, even the Southern Baptist denomination. What you find is you get progressive theology which includes the LGBTQ, the critical race theory, woke, or also social justice. They are making inroads into a lot of the churches, and they are changing the Scripture to suit their needs, or their ideology, or their theology. And you see, thus, a lot of the foundations of many denominations seem cracked, holes in the wall, if you will, So there seems to be a lot of crumbling. And the truth is, if that's all you read, it can get really depressing. And you can fall into despair very quickly. And the other reaction is like, well, look, I'm just going to put my head in the sand and ignore that stuff and carry on. But the question really before us is, how do you stand strong in your faith with all the different circumstances that are going on. The question is, how can we build or rebuild or strengthen the body, that is, the church, the believers of Christ Jesus? How can we go from despair, discouragement, to hope, and even joy? That really is what is in front of us today and in this series. And we are going to be in this series with a fellow named Nehemiah. Nehemiah faced many of these same types of circumstances, that there was division, that there was a crumbling of the wall in a literal sense. And so we're going to spend some time with Nehemiah and the book of Nehemiah. But because most people don't know Nehemiah or the book of Nehemiah, I want to take the time in this particular message to set some context for you. Nehemiah is in what is called the historical books. By the way, I printed this out. It's on the name table back there, or by the name table, name tag table. You can get that if you are online. It is in the sermon notes as well. This is simply a bookcase of all the different books of the Bible. And they are grouped in various things, such as law, history, poetry, major prophets, and so forth. 
Now, so where is Nehemiah in all of this? Well, if you look at this Bible bookcase, he is near the very end of what's called the historical books. The historical books are simply about what the nation of Israel went through. Nehemiah being one of those historical books. Now, let me give you also a little bit of idea of what was happening during that time. So this is a time period, and it's also online in the sermon notes. You can see that there are certain things that are going on here. So, first of all, there's a division of the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel. There's a lot of stuff going on, and everybody kind of split. Family disputes, if you will. And then... In 722 B.C., there was the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. And then there was the fall of the southern kingdom in 586. Now, I know the words on the screen are really small, but I want you to notice how many books of the Old Testament were written during the time when the nation of Israel was being split and fallen. You had all of these prophets, including Isaiah, who were just really telling the nation to repent. You're doing the wrong stuff. I mean, they were practically yelling. And so you had all of these, all of these prophets speaking to the nation of Israel. Repent and return to the Lord. But did Israel do that? No, Israel did not. And so they fell captive. 586, fall of the southern kingdom, They fell captive to the Babylonians, and they were moved to exile in Babylon. That's what was happening. But then, during this time, there's a king named Cyrus, and he was known as Cyrus the Great. He was a Persian king, not an Israel king. He was a Persian king. And he was different than a lot of other conquering kings in that he was tolerant Towards the people of his empire. And so he allowed Jews to go back to Jerusalem. And so you had a group of Jews who went back and they rebuilt the temple because Solomon's temple had been destroyed. This beautiful, wonderful temple, which had lasted for 400 years, was destroyed. So they went back and rebuilt. And then you can see in 515, the green dot on there, that the temple was rebuilt. And now we get to the Nehemiah. So what you should know about Nehemiah, he was not a prophet. He wasn't a priest. As a matter of fact, he was a cupbearer to a new Persian king, and this was King Artaxerxes. So Cyrus had died, Artaxerxes had come into power. And a cupbearer, by the way, was a very privileged position. So Nehemiah receives news of what's been happening, and we're going to be covering this, but he receives news of what's been happening in Jerusalem, even though the temple has been rebuilt, the city itself, walls are in disarray, to say the least. And so he gets permission to go back. And he becomes the governor of Jerusalem, and they rebuilt the walls in 52 days, which is an astounding feat. 
So he put the city back together basically in 52 days. And so what you need to know, he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. But he was a man that God called. God called Nehemiah out as a leader to revive the spirit of the discouraged exiles and bring them hope. And this is what God does. He calls people out to be his servants, to bring hope, and to strengthen others. And God has called each one of you in some way, shape, or form to also share hope and encouragement, right? God does that. Here he called out Nehemiah. Now, I've actually preached part of this series beforehand, 2016, back at my previous church. I came to it again, and I just got excited by this. There's a lot of stuff in here, themes that are not just historical, but will apply to us, I believe, here and now today, for our church, for Joy Church. And you're also going to see how Nehemiah, he's a man of prayer, He's a man of action, but he's also a man devoted to God, devoted to his duty. So we're going to go into part one of our series, The Joy of the Lord is Our Strength. And each part, I'm going to give a name to it. Today is called morning prayer. Not morning as in dawn, but morning as in grieving. Morning prayer. We're going to find out the caring heart of Nehemiah. So we go to Nehemiah chapter 1, starting with verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The walls of Jerusalem is the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. Now think about right Nehemiah. He's a cupbearer. Again, this was a very privileged position. He would have had the education, he would have had the wealth. He would have the comfort to really insulate him from anything else that any other Jew was experiencing. And yet, he also wanted to find out. He had a heart that cared enough to find out what was going on with other people, with his people, the Jews. And they came and told him, that Jerusalem was in a very sorry, troublesome state. It was the ruins of Jerusalem. People were trying to survive. The once great walls were torn down. And it says it would have been a shame. It was a shame. So what's the shame involved in all of this? Well, you have to know that Jerusalem was not just a a town, not just a city. It was God's city. That's where the temple was. Solomon's temple, when it was built, uh, the most fantastic, wonderful, beautiful, 
temple that you can imagine. All the gold, everything else, it had been ransacked, it had been torn down. They built a new one, but it was smaller, and it wasn't as grand. It wasn't as awe-inspiring as the first one. But here you had the city of God, Mount Zion, that it was called. The city on the hill, as Jesus would refer to it. But its walls were broken. The gates were burned. What was to be a shining city on a hill was in great, great disarray. And you really can't underestimate how much that would hurt people of the Jewish faith. And it struck him. It struck Nehemiah. Maybe he had the words of Jeremiah, which which were written 150 years before him. Jeremiah wrote this, Who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will grieve for you? Who will turn aside to ask about your welfare? You see, this people of God have a heart for God's heart. You might have heard this prayer, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Have you heard that one before? It was actually written, prayed by Bob Pierce in 1947. Now, Bob Pierce was an evangelist with Youth for Christ, and he was in China. Think a young Billy Graham, 1947, after World War II. Awful conditions throughout many parts of the world. And he was there, and there was an orphan girl who was just in a terrible state. And so he reached in his pocket, and he gave the last $5 that he had. And he vowed that he would send $5 a month. Now, he knew that was a drop in the bucket, but at that time, he wrote that prayer, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And so he went back and he took a movie camera and a camera and he went back and he filmed and took pictures of what was going on in China. And then he came back and he talked to individual congregations and he said, would you adopt one of these children? There's thousands upon thousands. And in 1950, World Vision came to be. That's how World Vision came. Because he had a heart to care. See, your heart is not broken by what breaks God's heart. You have to ask, am I being drawn closer or further away from God? Am I just going through the emotions? Am I just going through the motions? Or am I filled with the love for others? And we talked about that last week. If you're growing In the love of God, you grow in the love for others as well. Nehemiah had a heart that cared. And he prayed to the Lord God. He says this, it says this, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Rather than just jump into action... He wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. 
Now, Nehemiah is a man of prayer. As a matter of fact, there are 12 prayers in the book of Nehemiah. It begins and ends with a prayer. Some are short, some are longer. But prayer is a central theme in the book of Nehemiah. He was a man of faith who first who depended first and foremost on the Lord God in prayer. He said, I gotta pray before God. You know, some of us, and I'm guilty of this too, I just want to jump into action, right? I just want to do things. I want to fix that door, right? I'll put the Father's Day, you know, carry that out. I'll just do but you want to just jump in and do it. And then, in the middle of it, you think, oh yeah, maybe I should ask God to bless this. I know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but most of us have done something like that, right? Or we're in the middle of the mess and we think, God, please get me out of this mess now. So the proverb actually comes to mind here, Proverbs 19.21, Many are the plans of the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I'll read that again. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So we talk about taking it to the Lord in prayer. We definitely must do that. And this is how he prayed. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This prayer begins with a praise to God, but not just any God, right? There are many millennials now who will say, yeah, I'm just going to throw out a prayer to the universe. Nehemiah didn't do that. He knew to whom he was praying. See, Nehemiah is a man of great faith who has a deep understanding of who God is. A lot of us want to have more faith. You know, we want to be stronger, built up in our faith. And somehow we want to do that by our own bootstraps. But the truth is, you want to grow stronger in your faith? you got to know God, and you know God through His Word. That's how you grow stronger in your faith. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's how we do it here at Joy Church. Bible-based and Christ-centered. We grow in that knowledge of God. And thus, and I've seen it in you, your faith has grown because of that. And you stand more firm in your faith. So he begins this prayer this way. He says, O Lord God. In a literal sense, from the Hebrew, it'd be, O Yahweh Elohim. Now, is that significant to say, O Yahweh Elohim? And indeed, it is significant. So, let's talk about this. Elohim. This is the Creator God. You see, in the first book of the Bible, the first book, Genesis, and the very first chapter... And the Lord and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke the universe into existence. He said, let there be, and there was. And you find all in chapter 1 that God 
The word for God is Elohim. It is about the creator God, the one who is powerful, and just by his very word, things came into existence. Elohim. But then, in chapter 2, starting with verse 4, he uses another name. Yahweh, or God, or Lord, the Lord. And this is important because now you find God is a God of relationship, of love. And especially, it's all used in chapter 2 when God is interacting with Adam and Eve. It is the Lord. You see, Yahweh, that sacred covenantal name, the name he gave to Moses, the one that says, I am steadfast in my love for you. Even though you fail, I will keep my promises. So when Nehemiah prays, it's not just to any God. It is to Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh Elohim. You see, this isn't, this isn't much different, by the way, than how Jesus taught us to pray. It says, Our Father who is in heaven. Father, right? The Father who loves you, who cares for you, who sees you through. You've seen, <laughs> you've, you've seen the picture of the uh, footprints in the sand, right, in that poem that God was carrying you. Here's my picture. Uh, and I would say, well, what are all those marks in the sand over there? And God said, well, that's where I dragged you when you didn't want to go. Father, right? But the Father who loves you enough to drag you through the sand sometimes. Father, who is in heaven. Father, who created everything. This is how we pray. See, most people will pray the prayer, Father, but they don't realize the Father Creator. Yahweh Elohim. God the Father Almighty, who is great and awesome God. This is to whom Nehemiah prayed. This is to whom we pray, a great and an awesome God. Warren Wearsby put it this way, this way, we pray to a great and awesome God who is worthy of our praise and worship. If you are experiencing great affliction and are about to undertake a great work, then you need the great power, great goodness, and great mercy of a great God. Our prayers often are weak because we don't pray to God who can do anything and who can do everything according to His will. We pray to a great and awesome God. But we don't pray with a demanding nature, do we? We pray with humility and confession. I'm going to read verse 6 through 7. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. Now that I pray before you night and day for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, Even I and my father's house have sinned. 
We have acted corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Look, Nehemiah didn't come before the Lord demanding, which is sometimes how people pray. God, I want you to do this, 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 and this, and this today. Now, you might not do it in that aspect, that harshness, but sometimes people can pray demanding God meet their desires. But he didn't do that, did he? Nehemiah did not do that. Nehemiah's prayers, Nehemiah's prayer was devoted to confession of sin. Rather, he came before the Lord and confessed sin. You see, it wasn't just the sin out there, it was his sin as well. And sometimes our prayers lack power because we tried to hide our sin rather than confess them. Right? But Nehemiah knew and had faith that God who promised judgment against sin also promised forgiveness if his people would repent and turn back to him. This is the promise that you and I also have in Christ Jesus. And we do a confession of sin every single week. And I have a section from 1 John on, the, on there, on the screen. I'm going to read a larger section from 1 John. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise we have. To confess our sins and receive his forgiveness. And so Nehemiah said, I am a sinner along with everyone else. And I confess not just their sin, but my sin, our sin together. Because when the body of Christ, not just Joy Church, the body of Christ sins, we should all grieve at that. We should all come before the Lord. And by the way, in the Our Father, it says, forgive us our trespasses. Not, not just mine, but our trespasses. There's a plural in there. So he comes before the Lord, he confesses his sin, and then he asks and prays for remembrance. It says this, Remember the word that you had commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, then your outcasts are in the ut- though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven from there i will gather them and bring them to the place that i have chosen to make my name dwell there so the second part of his prayer really or a third part of the prayer really is about asking god to remember but we've talked about this before remember isn't just Remember isn't as if God forgot something. To remember 
is to bring the promises into the present, to act upon the promises in the present. So Nehemiah is praying for God to bring his promises to bear in the present. And see what happens when you start to pray God's promises, asking God to remember them and bring them into the present and take action. You yourself then cling to those promises. You yourself hear the promises and you cling to them, knowing that he is faithful to his word. Jesus has given us many promises. And in the New Testament, there are a number of promises that I'd like you to hear. Hebrews chapter 13. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? One of my favorites is Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And Jesus said this Gospel of John, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whosoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, it's okay to use Scripture in your prayers. They're the promises that God has given us in your prayers. In his word, we find his promises. And in his promises, we have confidence. I talked about in the very beginning, right? How can we, in the situation which many churches, many denominations are in right now, how can we still stand and be strong in his faith? It's not because of how I feel. Because even though I'm a pastor, there's a lot of times I don't necessarily feel the presence of God. And I'm reminded again and again that what happens does not rely on my feelings. As if it did, we'd be in a whole lot of trouble. Right? Because my feelings can kind of come and go as, as the days and weeks and months progress. But his word remains true throughout it all. And so I have confidence in his word and his promises. And when I read the promises, I'm reminded of his promises and I cling to them. I cling to him who is great and awesome. And from that, I get comfort and strength, hope, and joy. So let's talk about a prayer of confidence. Verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. See, Nehemiah, like the psalmist, had confidence 
that God would hear his prayer. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, God, are you listening? Do you ever have that one? Are you listening, God? And we, we become afraid. Like, I don't know if I can really pray confidently to God because I don't, I don't know who, who like, <laughs> that's, that's it. Who am I? What, chopped liver, right? My chopped liver? Don't answer that. But, but we do. We have kind of that in our mind. But when we come before a great and awesome God, we come with humility, with repentance, confidence in his promises. We can come before him confidently. Jesus even told his disciples, he said this, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Look, the joy of the Lord is to know to whom is to know to whom you pray, in whom you have faith. There's a joy of the Lord apart from the circumstances in your life. And God will hear your prayer. Now, depending on what you're praying, he might say yes, no, or not now. But he will, when you come to him confidently, confessing your sins with a humble, repentant heart, knowing the promises that he has made, you can come to him. You see, Nehemiah's greatness came from asking great things of a great God and then attempting great things with reliance on him. Okay. So today, for you, when you look at the cross, what do you see? Well, you should see the love of God who sent his son to die for you. And you should see that it was your sin for whom he died. Not the others. Yours. Yours and for the world. When you look at the cross, you should also see the great forgiveness that God has for you in Christ Jesus. And then through the cross and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, all the promises he has made, you should know that you can come before him confidently in prayer, knowing that he is our intercessor before the very throne. You can take everything to him in prayer, for he is a great and awesome God. And all the people said, Amen. Amen, amen.